You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, hi, everybody. Hello. Today I'm, uh, is kind of what I would describe, and don't be scared by this and don't think, oh my gosh, what's he doing? But in a way, um, in the spirit of the music I'm going to be talking about, this is the least prepared I think I've ever been for a class. And I'm a preparer. Trust me, I am. So I prepared, but it's the least prepared because I kind of want it to be a little improvisational because I'm going to be talking about swing music and blues music and hopefully, more importantly, the Bible um, and how those things relate together. But the first thing I wanted to do was... Um, I'm Zach. I don't get to see you as much as I'd like, and somehow I will get out from under my Sunday schedule such that I'll be able to teach more. But for now, I only get to do this every once in a while. Um, But we just, over the last two years of lessons and carol services at the five o'clock, and I don't know if you know that those even exist, uh, but they've been happening for, I don't know, five to seven years now. And um, four years ago or five years ago, we had what we called lessons and carols on ice. Because, um, and it sounds like it's exotic, it wasn't. It was in Railroad Park, and it was the coldest night of the year. And we had the thing booked for like a year at Railroad Park, and it was just the worst. Uh, all the horn players said their horns were out of tune by half step, so they were transposing everything on the fly, and they did a pretty good job. And everyone who had a stringed instrument felt like they were being stabbed by razor blades as we were playing. <laughs> And everyone was sort of really quickly reading the lessons and everyone's just getting out of there. And there were still 200 people there, 200 people. And we were all shivering and singing and talking about the story of Jesus. It was actually, despite all that craziness, it was kind of magical because they had the, uh, they actually had the ice skating rink behind us and people were just sort of listening to the Christmas story wash over them. We were under that pavilion at Railroad Park and it was a great time. But since then... We decided if we want to make good music that sounds good and we don't have to transpose all the time, we're going to do that in the Advent. So after that, for the last three years, we've been doing our lessons and carol service with the five o'clock in the nave, um, usually the last Sunday before Christmas. So that one's coming up next Sunday. I invite you to come. But we've been tracking those. We've been recording those over the last few years. And this is um, a product of that. So we edited them down mix them down. And uh, that's where I want to begin talking today is when I first got to Alabama, um, I do sort of this musical inventory of where I'm at. And it's become part of just my, God's calling on my life is that God's hopped me around from church to church and region to region. And one of the things that he always encourages me to do is ask local questions about the kind of spirit and soul of music in that region. So I've lived in Hawaii Los Angeles, Denver, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and now here. And so they're very different places. And when I'm making music in all those places, not only are we making church music and kind of doing what history has passed down to us, we're also asking the local missionary question of what does it look like to contextualize music in any one culture? And so I would go to a place like Denver and I'd ask, so what's the musical soul of this place? What's the indigenous music? And you know what? Not that much. Not that much in Denver because Denver's a new town and it's a town of transplants. It's a town of uh, different kinds of culture, but not necessarily musical culture. So when I went down to South Florida and Miami, oh, there was lots there. It was totally different, but there was lots there. And we kind of incorporated it into stuff that we did. In fact, two of my best musicians I played with at our church were Cubans, uh, and they were excellent. They were excellent players. Uh, And then when I got here, I would say, though, that Alabama, whether you know it or not, in the United States, has one of the richest 
musical souls I've ever experienced. And no, especially what we'll talk about next week, which is uh, Christmas carols and Muscle Shoals and their relationship. Because that's, that's kind of been the goal of this, was to ask, like, hey, what's, what's kind of the Alabama sound? And can we make that happen a little bit in the way we do lessons and carols? And I don't know, maybe you do know this because you've seen the documentary, which is incredible. I've seen it five times at least. I cry every time I see it. Um, it's pretty powerful. It's called Muscle Shoals. But um, what you have in there is a documentary of the influence of Alabama on the world. And that's not an overstatement. What happened at Muscle Shoals changed the course of rock music. And everybody acknowledged that. Every major rock band wanted to record there because of what was special about the musicians who were actually just kind of podunk boys from the sticks who knew how to jam a little bit and had a pocket and a groove that was infectious and that everybody wanted to play with and hear. And there was a sound, as Bono said in the opening montage, in the mud of uh, Muscle Shoals. And so there's a soul to music in Alabama that I wanted to explore. And the beauty of the South is that a lot of what has birthed rock music came from this region. So rock worldwide owes a debt to Georgia and Alabama, Mississippi and Louisiana, especially for what went on there. And I want to ask some of those questions and I don't know, just have a little fun. So I'm not sure where this is going to go. I want to introduce to you two songs that we've recorded um, and use that as a different angle of looking at the scriptures going into Advent. So let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you be pleased to take your word and plant it deep into our souls and have mercy on us today. Amen. I want to first begin by talking about the blues, and you can't say much in a short amount of time. But the blues again and again come back as the single influence on what became rock and roll and what became uh, the art form of rock over time. And in fact, it wasn't just that it started things and then a, a line sort of evolved from there. It was at every juncture of the line, you see that the best rock musicians were always going back to those first blues records from the 20s to the 40s. And they were listening to those and discovering soul and grit and life. And part of what they were discovering was amidst the growing commercialization of music, they found something real and something human and something of the human story in blues that they couldn't sort of manufacture in the studio. They just heard it in these musicians. And a lot of that, as you and I know, is born out of pain. It's born out of the African-American slave culture. It's born out of singing songs that began maybe as spirituals, uh, but started to get transformed as some of these some of these men and women picked up guitars and started playing them. We'll play some of that uh, old music in a bit. But one of the things I want to say is if you listen to some of the early African-American spirituals, you hear a theological connection. In fact, um, they sang a lot of the stories of Scripture and there were particular themes that kept on coming up in these spirituals. And those themes were always around the Exodus. They were always around Moses and the people of God being delivered out of slavery and out of the bondage of Egypt. And our brothers and sisters who were enslaved down here saw a parallel to God's deliverance of the Israelites with their own deliverance. And so they sang a lot of songs like the song that our choir sang at an even song a couple of even songs ago that and just nearly broke me down again. Deep River. Deep River, my home is over Jordan. You know, just the longing and the singing. And then go down Moses. Go down Moses to Egypt land and 
tell old Pharaoh, let my people go, right? All this kind of overtones became the story and the way that uh, this people group understood their identity in and around that. But one of the other things I learned, if you ever want to check it out, it's a lesser known documentary called Rumble. And you can get it, I think, on Amazon Prime. And that documentary shows, especially in the South, the influence of Native American music on rock and blues. And if you take that seriously, which a bunch of my musician friends told me I should, um, it may be that blues was actually birthed out of both cultures kind of melting, especially in places like Louisiana, where uh, the oppressed cultures were kind of hanging together and intermarrying. Um, and you hear some in some old Native American music that's been passed down, the beginnings of blues scales and tones. Um, I want to just play a few pieces of early blues music just so you can kind of hear where it started. This is from, I don't know if this recording's from the 20s, but the song certainly is. Um, the song's called the Dallas Blues. It's one of the first sort of blues songs people say was written. So you hear the horns and the clarinet. It's arranged. There's the trombone. You hear all the bending of notes that's common in blues. It's not as dark as some other blues is. It's actually kind of happy. So one of the interesting things is when you hear the blues, some it, it's on a it's on a scale, right? It's on a grade, but you hear a kind of mixture of sadness and hope intermingled, and that's why I want to talk about art and fittingness for a second. People a, a lot of times say, especially when you're talking about musical art being tethered to words and lyrics, that you always want the music to fit what the words are. And so people, art theorists and aesthetic philosophers talk a lot about the concept of fittingness. I think actually the blues is a wonderfully fitting genre for the Advent. I don't mean the church, actually. I mean uh, for the, the season known as Advent. Why? Because Advent, even though it gets swallowed up in Christmas in culture, is really a time where we long for the coming of Jesus the way Israel was waiting for Messiah which is therefore a dark and sad recognition that Jesus hasn't come, that this world is a broken place. So there are blue notes there. There are bending of notes there. Um, there's wailing there. There's enslavement there. But at the same time, there's an incredible hope that God made some promises and he's got to stick to them. So I hope with that, and you hear in early blues music and all throughout blues, a darkness and a sadness and a wailing about the human condition but you also hear a hope there. And I actually think the blues is a wonderful genre to think about uh, Advent. And I, I want us to turn, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke 1. I'm going to be preaching from this at the 11 o'clock refectory service today. The Magnificat, Mary's song. I think if Mary were born in the 1920s, she would have written this in the blues. Why? Because it's hopeful. She's heard a word from Gabriel. But the arrival, the salvation hasn't come yet. And so it's hopeful, but it's got some darkness. And this is what she sings. Luke 1, verse 47. My soul magnifies the Lord, 
And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. One of the things I'll point out in my sermon is that she's pointing out the upside down nature of the kingdom of God is that poor get get raised up and get rich and rich get lowered and go poor. This is the way Jesus brings his kingdom in. For his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. And he has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. So lots of, lots of polar opposites as she sings the blues. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So, um, one of the things we did, and it's actually not on this album, we're coming out with a Canticles album in February, so we're saving it for that, but it's a version of the Magnificat that we sing, that we will sing at the 11 o'clock refectory. It's a blues version, actually, and I want you to hear how it sounds. We had fun recording it. Uh, a bunch of people back there recorded it, and um, we used chains, and we used some other things that you'll probably hear. It's a tune that someone else has written. It's actually an, it's a traditional Southern tune um, that we used to this setting of the Magnificat. And so I'm going to kind of scroll through the words as you hear it. Here it is. I like playing music loud. Sorry. That sounds super cool, right? I really love the way it sounds. Uh, one of the characteristics of good blues playing when you're playing in a band is to, to play what's called behind the beat. So you want to always kind of relax on it. So it always feels like it's sort of dragging. And when you're that in tune and a sort of good enough musician, you know how to slack that beat. And we're trying to create that feel. So listen to the drag. That's part of what makes it feel like you're sort of pulling your feet through the mud as you sing this song.
A dobro is a steel-topped guitar. That's what you're hearing right now. Here's some different chords in the solo too. my favorite part of the song coming up right here. Oops. Sorry. Like that? I like that. Isn't that great? Um, so maybe a spiritual practice during Advent could be listening to the blues. Uh, maybe that could be something to actually sort of frame the color. What I love about music, tethered to great theology, is that I think it amplifies the truth. Um, Jonathan Edwards said that the affections help set the truth in their proper colors. And I think one derivative of that is that when we use Aesthetic means to understand truth and tether it to truth. The truth is understood more deeply. It's why, for instance, you could uh, open up a hymnal and read the words and it can be pretty powerful. But have you ever noticed the difference between reading the words of a hymn and singing a hymn? There's something way more deep. And it's not like there's more truth in the text because the truth is found in the in the propositions of the text but you apprehend the truth more deeply. It's as though the truth went from 2D to 3D or went from black and white to color. That's the power of these aesthetic means. So maybe it is that you meditate on scripture with like B.B. King in the background or something like that during Advent um, to give you that. Now I want to talk about one song that's on this album and the genre style that we took with it. And if you come to Lessons and Carols, It'll be the big opener. It'll be what we all sing together as a congregation. It's O Come All You Faithful. And I want to talk about Dixie Swing. And I want to talk about um, this genre that was birthed, especially out of New Orleans, and then kind of went up the river. Uh, one of the things that you observed about the blues, especially if you believe that it was a blending of African-American and Native American culture, and then some country and Western in there from white culture. Uh, when it started happening... Uh, and these musicians and this music like ragtime became popular. The way it was popularized was sometimes on these riverboats that would go from the New Orleans port up through Memphis. And then you get these people who would eventually become famous players playing on these riverboats. And everyone would know, hey, if you want to hear some crazy good music that you've never really heard before, go and, and hear this kind of thing. And uh, one, of those, one of those people was Louis Armstrong. 
he was the one that helped kind of take ragtime, which was a, a piano type thing where there's this moving bass line in the left hand, actually pretty difficult to play. Uh, and then these sort of melody plus chords in the right hand and kind of fuse it into a band, fuse it into other instruments. And what people like Louis Armstrong started doing with this Dixie swing sound was kind of create a sort of code and a sound out of the instrumentation. So oftentimes, you'll hear this in, in that Dixie swing sound. You'll hear either a piano or a guitar or banjo sort of chunking out the chords, bump, 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 just sort of holding the line like that. And then you hear uh, three instruments usually, a trombone, a clarinet, and a trumpet. And usually there are sections, especially at the beginning of songs, where they're just kind of free-for-all, going at it and doing crazy stuff. And that's when you hear that sort of squeaky, fun sound that's a part of the, the New Orleans march sound. And then they all sort of take turns soloing at various points, and they all come back. And that's sort of the basic rudimentary building blocks. I want to hear... Um, we'll hear first... Oh, well, this is pretty famous. Maybe you've heard it. West End Blues by Louis Armstrong. So good. Here it comes. So that chunking, the piano's just playing. There's a trombone. And that's the trumpet and the clarinet duetting. Hear how they're taking those blues elements, bending notes. They're laying back on the beat. Woo! It's a sighing trombone real high up in the range. What's that? What's that clanging thing? Is anybody... Yeah. I want it to be a jar. It's more earthy. It's like, oh, there's a jar here. Start hitting it with something. Ooh. Yeah, there's a... Oh, there he is. So he's the trumpeter, kind of echoing the clarinet, right? They're having a little dialogue there. Oh, man. He's so free. You know, that's the thing you hear. You hear amidst the kind of uh, culture of enslavement, a freedom in the way blues is played. There's a slipperiness to the tempo, and there's a freedom of form there, even in the repetition, um, that in a way, is kind of future-oriented. To use a big, loaded uh, theological word, it's eschatological. It, it looks at the end and sees it coming at you. That's sort of the genre and the style. So this, this feel gets picked up and played in all kinds of ways, and it gets played at up-tempos too, which is sort of where we went with O Come All You Faithful. So I want to hear a little bit of an up-tempo version. This is from 1927. Um, Potato Head Blues is what it's called by Louis Armstrong. So fun, right? All the instruments are kind of going for a free-for-all. They don't have a... They don't, they're not looking at music. They're just inserting themselves. 
And you hear that piano just holding the line? Hear a tuba in there too? There's a banjo in there too. You can hear this on a riverboat, you know? So one of the other things that popularized this style of music was that it got used a lot in early films. It got used a lot in vaudeville. It got used a lot in the early black and white pictures. I mean, you can. This is the music you hear when Charlie Chaplin's doing his crazy stuff, right? Um, that's that's what you hear. And so this music was heard, and there was a soul there. People heard it, and were like I I resonate with that. I don't know where. And where's this music from? It's from here. It's from this ground, and and this earth. One of the things that gets sort of picked up and traditionalized in a place like New Orleans, if you all have been there, is that this kind of music becomes street music. It becomes the music they march to. It becomes music that people gather in public places and feel the groove as they move together and sing. And then it becomes sort of the musical backdrop of every uh, spectrum of life. Because not only do you have this sort of happy stuff for celebrations, but you also have this music playing into funerals, right? There's just some beautiful, beautiful, sad, heavy, and hopeful music that just plays with the spirituals, actually, coming out of New Orleans and spreading all over the South and then just through a variety of means because when any human listens to this, there's something instinctive about it. Just like all those rock musicians, Rolling Stones, Beatles, Led Zeppelin, they all listen to this stuff and say, there's something here that I want, that I want to tap into. There's some sort of soul that I want to feel like I'm a part of. But speaking of marching music, that was part of the reason that we wanted to try to set O Come All You Faithful to a groove like this. If we're talking about art and fittingness and we're thinking of a, a hymn that's an opening hymn that invites the people of God to march in and sing about Jesus and sing about the coming king who uh, rides in humbly um, in Mary and eventually on a donkey to the cross, we thought, actually, um, it's not just sort of playful and kitschy that you might set O Come All You Faithful to a Dixie Swing sound. Um, it actually, I think, is meaningful. And so I want to do some of that and have you hear it as a funky beginning, real squeaky clarinet at the top, and uh, we'll just we'll just play through the whole thing. Trombone. 
is a recording from last year at, at, at uh, our Lessons in Carol service. Maybe it'll give you a new vision for what the lyrics mean. for all section here. Okay, I'm going to let you know a little secret on this third verse. Something, it's a little homage that I inserted uh, from the classical tradition. So if you, if you come you know, to any one of our kind of classical services, you'll typically hear us play this hymn to John Rutter's arrangement of it. And in verse 3 with Sing Choirs of Angels, you'll always hear the soprano sing a descant. So I gave that to the trumpet to play in verse three. Don't tell John Rutter because he might sue me, but um, that's what I did there. And I kind of wanted to sort of connect us to our classical tradition in that moment. And I didn't tell anyone until this point. So you're the first to know this. It's sneaky. Here's a trumpet. It's real faint. Change some of the notes. Some different chords there. I'll say one of the other characteristics of this New Orleans style, especially if you're kind of doing a climactic verse, is what in the classical tradition gets called ralentando, where you slow it down and do a very kind of stately final verse. And so that's what we did here. And you'll kind of hear the music slow down and get real pomp-like. Hear the musicians starting to slow down a little bit. Straight out of New Orleans. Sorry.
these are all John Rutter's chords here. So there it is, um, New Orleans style of getting into Christmas there. Uh, I'll open up for questions, and then I want to do some final reflections on some of the lyrics here, and we'll call it a day. Thoughts you have or comments, or as you're hearing all this stuff, they're done. They're like totally cooked. They hate everything about this. They're actually going to play the prelude at the 11 o'clock service, so that's what they're doing. Comments or thoughts as we reflect on music and Advent and this and Hano. Yeah. It begins with a kind of a reggae beat, and it reminded me of a Bob Marley song, but I couldn't place it. That's right. No, it wasn't. It actually, I mean, reggae does have its influence in the blues, and I think you're hearing some of that crossover there. I, it's funny you say that. I think I might have that. Let me see. That's right. It's got a reggae feel for sure. We had sort of put it in the blues. There's a B3, the Hammond B3. Ooh, you're going to have to get the album if you want to listen to more of it. <laughs> or uh, it's actually on Spotify or um, Apple Music, so you can... What's up? Yeah, it is. It's on Google Play as well. Um, but yeah, that's it's sort of a, a different trajectory of blues for that song. We're like, Little Mortal Flesh is both dark and, and hopeful, but it's it's kind of like foreboding. And we wanted in the genre to get at that. So that's what we were after. And uh, oh, so I should tell you, this is kind of cool. Um, but the person who comes, who brings his friends to play with us, his name's Chad Fisher. And Chad uh, is, a tr- is a well-known trombone player in Birmingham chiefly known because he's part of St. Paul and the Broken Bones. He's the guy who arranges all their horns. Uh, and so he r- arranges all our horns. Um, and he's a great guy. And uh, his friends, Rob Alley, who's a terrific jazz trumpeter, and Gary Wheat, who plays sax and clarinet, um, they're all incredible. Um, they come, and I, don't, I, I got to know them through some of our musicians, and they just like playing at the Advent because this is different. You know, It's really fun to play church music that wants to ask questions about these genres so yeah I should have told you that it's a neat little tidbit yeah so I wrote the arrangements as a chart so like the form of the song bare bones I sent them to Chad he put the horns on it and we kind of worked on some of the arrangements specifics so yeah it was kind of me and Chad yeah it's fun what's hearing things in the first or second song that I've kind of Totally. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yep, that's right. Like a lot of the, I did that. Uh, so I sang all those vocals when, right when I got into the office one day when I was kind of sick, 
I'm like, I heard my voice. I'm like, oh, this is perfect. And so I, <laughs> so I went and, and got my mic together and uh, I was supposed to meet with Annie. I was like, Annie, the meeting's canceled. My voice is perfect. So I just <laughs> sang all the, I sang all these really low, I can't even sing them right now because, but it's all these low rumbly, blind boy style kind of vocal backings, that stuff. And I did. <laughs> yep. That's the best way to get that, you know. It's the best way. <laughs> Other thoughts or comments? I, I just think it's interesting. I have a friend at work that's not a believer but loves Christmas music. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and just all the music, not just this album, but all the music has just been playing through our house. Oh, praise God. That's really encouraging. Search up Advent Birmingham, and then that artist will appear with several albums. Yep. And finally, the choir's got their stuff up there, too. So if you search Cathedral Church of the Advent or Cathedral Choir Advent kind of thing, you'll find their great Lessons and Carols album, too. So it's just all, all up in there. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's on Pandora. If I'm not, let me know and we can try to figure out how to get it up there. Yeah. Is there? Maybe they'll pick up some of our stuff, put it on that playlist. Yeah. Well, I hope this was a, a kind of fun and lighthearted way and looking at kind of the theological perspective of of Advent and Christmas. Next week, we're going to sort of work through some of our more soul arrangements of Hark the Herald Angels Sing and uh, Joy to the World, which were, like for me, the most fun arrangements to do because they're just so happy and they sound like a cross between Aretha Franklin and Jackson 5 and uh, Etta James. So um, yeah, come back for that. We'll probably see some clips from the Muscle Shoals documentary. And enjoy the heart of Alabama music. So, peace. See you next week. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.